It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. I think everybody is familiar with Charles Dickens. Obviously, I don't think there are many stories that are more famous than a, a Christmas Carol. Um, but it really goes so far beyond that. You talk about Oliver Twist, Great Expectations, David Copperfield, and countless others that you may not necessarily know, not only books but short stories and a bunch of other things. And there's this total mythology that has developed over the course of the last 150 years or so about Charles Dickens, not only his works – but about the man himself, and there's been a lot of interest in how the characters depicted in his works may have been reflected of the life that he lived himself. And uh, next week, it will be Charles Dickinson's birthday. He was born February 7th, 1812. And there has been a fascinating new look at Charles Dickens And it's caused me to actually, and I don't really read a lot of fiction, but it's caused me to want to go back and reread some of the Dickens books that I haven't read in years to see if I'm going to read them with new eyes and detect anything now. Because the book that I have um, been reading for the last two weeks is sort of revisionist literary history, and I mean that in the absolute best sense of the word. I am very, very pleased to be joined by... Helena Kelly, a professor of English literature and author whose latest book is The Life and Lies of Charles Dickens. Uh, Helena, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Good morning. Hi, hello, good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I should probably say uh, I'm not a professor in the English sense, have been in the American sense, just it's a, it's a, slightly, different, it's a slightly different title over here. But um, uh, but yeah, I have I have taught English literature at university. Well, you know, given the fact that myself, <laughs> given the fact that we're talking to a lot of Americans, we'll we'll give you that title of uh, okay. of professor. Uh, but um, you're you're an author in every sense, the American and the English sense, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah. Alan, obviously, you've done a lot of writing over the years. You're clearly very interested in uh, in literature. Tell me um, why Charles Dickens. What what first sparked your interest in looking at the the life Life and literary works of Charles Dickens. Um, well, so I actually uh, grew up uh, in uh, a place called the Medway Towns, which is in Kent, um, in England, which is where um, Dickens spent huge portions of his life. So when he was a child, he lived there. Um, he spent his honeymoon there. Um, he lived there when after he had his first baby, um, and uh, when he was finally rich enough to kind of buy a house. Uh, for himself, that was where he decided to buy a house. So um, I, I've kind of, it, it, it's an area that's really kind of like steeped in Dickens, the road names, like in the housing estates, sure. like named after Dickens characters. Um, and a lot of, um, a lot of his stories are set there. So it's where Great Expectations is set, the marshes, I actually kind of grew up on, on the marshes that Great Expectations is set. So he was, um, he's kind of, he's kind of always been a constant in my life um, in, in some ways, but I, um, I I started really to to kind of wonder why whether whether the things that I'd always been told about him were, were necessarily true. Um, I mean, I kind of this is this is this is sort of my my thing in a way. So I, oh, I've, I've also written on Jane Austen, that, that mm-hmm. sort of 
um, the idea being very much that, that sometimes um, we can be too familiar with writers and that kind of, it's sort of, we, we think we know things about them because we've been told things about them. And quite often those turn out not to be all that accurate. Um, and so I think I think that quite often our kind of reading of these very, very famous, like these great, like really well-known and, and, and well-read texts gets a bit kind of pushed off to one side from, from, from where it should be. So that, that's kind of my, my general, um, general kind of um, uh, concentration work-wise. Before we, um, before we discuss the deep dive you did into Dickens' life here, which is a fascinating bit of uh, literary detective work, did you have a favorite or do you have a favorite Charles Dickens book? Um, I love Great Expectations, mm-hmm. um, and I also love um, the novel that he was working on when he died that he didn't actually get a chance to finish, which is The Mystery of Edwin Drood, uh, which is also set, set where I grew up. So you can, you can literally like walk around um, the, 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 the places where it's set. All the buildings are still there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I've, I've always found it from, from when I was quite young, very kind of, very engaging. It's a great, like, it's a great story if people haven't read it. And it's not, it's not maybe one of the best known ones. Um, wow. and it does break off about halfway through, um, because he died very suddenly. Sure. Well, that'll, um, that'll, so that'll bring in a fantastic read, nevertheless. That, that'll bring a speedy end to anybody's book, I would think. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I don't know that I had a full appreciation of, uh, prior to reading through your book, and we're talking with Helena Kelly, she's the author of The Life and lies of Charles Dickens is how big of a celebrity Charles Dickens was. I mean, he was in his day, this is not just someone that experienced posthumous fame, this was someone that was even bigger than Stephen King was when he was alive, right? Speak to that, his level of celebrity while he was living. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean sort of, um, I, I, I hadn't actually sort of appreciated properly until I started working on the book how quickly it all happened. So um, Dickens kind of, um, <clears throat> he basically gets into journalism when he's in his late teens, early 20s. Um, one of his um, uncles uh, owned a, a sort of small newspaper, so that was how, how he got into it. Um, and uh, then he kind of started writing these little short stories. Um, and then he was, um, he was kind of commissioned to um, write, the, write the copy, I guess, um, for a, 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 a sort of serial story um, called The Pickwick Papers. Um, but he wasn't, he wasn't kind of the main draw there. Like the, um, the main draw was the illustrator. You know, it was a guy called Robert Seymour. He was really, really well known at the time. He did these like comic, comic pictures that would then be like reproduced and sold in shops and things. Um, but, uh, and so they start working on The Pickwick Papers, do the first couple of, um, first couple of sort of um, uh, uh, installments of it. Um, and then very, very sadly, Seymour, who, who had had ongoing mental health issues, um, took his own life. And they decide that they are going to go on with the project, get in a new illustrator. And then sort of almost immediately after this happens, and this is also like just after Dickens has got married, so he's been married for like, you know, six weeks when this happens. Um, all of a sudden, the Pickwick Papers goes stratospheric. People go mad for it. Um, you know, and, and within... A, a matter of months. So by the time his first son is born, which is you know, almost exactly nine months um, after he got married, um, like he is famous. Like and and it is a level of mm. celebrity, very 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 similar to, to kind of the celebrity that that we, we, you you might think of. Now it's, it, it it is it very quickly becomes 
um, basically kind of like influencer level. Like it's a, he's he's a big name, and people the, the the press is sort of the press is all over him. They have sto- they run stories about like his siblings and his father, and um, it, it clearly is a very is a very kind of um, stressful situation for him to be in because obviously, like most celebrities. You you need the press, right? You you've you've got this, you've got you you are the you are the product that you want to sell. Um, Dickens, in fact, you very quickly uh, end up with a with a lot of people who are financially dependent on him, and um, so he needs to he needs to kind of keep the press on side, and he does. He sort of feeds them stories, um, he does press releases, but he also and whether this is kind of direct re- kind of reaction in a way. He also makes quite sure that there is stuff that they don't find out about. Um, and there are several things um, in his kind of childhood and early life that he is clearly very, very, very protective of and very, very reluctant um, to let anybody know. Um, and so he kind of, he plays the game publicity-wise um, and he uh, he sets up this persona, um, which is very kind. You know, he's he's a he's a great husband and father. He's very kind of domestically minded. He runs all through the 1850s a magazine called Household Words. Um, so just to kind of um, like bed into that, you know, this is this is like Victorian um, domesticity, the Victorian family. It's very kind of you know cozy and, and engaging. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, he does lots of very prominent charity work. Um, he has this kind of public persona, um, that he is very happy, um, to, to kind of engage with the press in, in that persona. Um, but there's, there's a lot of stuff going on behind that he, he kind of doesn't really, doesn't really talk so much about. Um, but it it turns out that actually quite often that's bubbling up Mm. in his, um, in his work in, in kind of unexpected places. Uh, we're talking with Helena Kelly. Her book is uh, The Life and Lies of Charles Dickens. We're going to get into some of those lies uh, momentarily. Uh, Helena, um, Dickens found that his fame, sudden and incredible as it was, was a bit of a mixed blessing. How, how so? What was, the, what was the problem with the degree of fame that he achieved? Partly, I think the problem was that he was expected to uh, work at an absolutely astonishing rate. I mean, you, he, um, uh, we, we, we know all these kind of like famous novels. Um, he actually starts working on Oliver Twist when he hasn't finished the Pickwick Papers. So there's a oh. period where he's working on both of them simultaneously, um, and both, both in installments. So he, he, you know, he, has a, he has deadlines. He has to produce a certain number of words by a certain day. Um, and then when he's halfway through all of the twists, he starts working on Nicholas Nickleby, which is his next novel. Um, he does uh, nonfiction work. He's still um, kind of carrying on with with sort of um, you know other projects. He's got he's got this there's, there's this terrible sort of little comic opera that he he works on. There are plays that he does that are sort of adaptations of his stories. Um, so I, I think he he kind of certainly in that early period of his life, he's under an astonishing amount of stress, like really. Uh, just it, it it must have been i i can't imagine working like that with that much public scrutiny um and with people kind of so so hungry for what you were going to produce next and of course the press you know the press always does this right it, it builds people up and then it starts kind of pulling them down a bit oh this story isn't so good oh why is he doing this oh why is he not faster at, at producing whatever um and um, so he he does you know, he does experience an awful an awful lot of stress, 
Um, and there are kind of there are various sort of you know private stresses in his life. His father um, uh, was a financial nightmare. Essentially, got into a lot of debt um, and sort of always expected someone else to get him out of it. Mm. Um, and that that quickly becomes Charles's job. Um, and so he's he he has uh, um, he he basically it really does seem to be the case that he uh, when his um, so his sister-in-law after after he got married his um, sister-in-law uh, Mary uh, basically came to live with him and his, his his wife Catherine which was not not particularly unusual at the time um, and um, Mary and Dickens became very close and then she suddenly died. Um, very, very suddenly. Um, she, it was, um, you know, sort of, they've been out of the theatre and then they come home and, you know, a day later she's dead. Um, and this was a, this this seems to have been a kind of trigger, I guess, for him to have a nervous breakdown. Mm. Um, but uh, obviously there's all this, there's all this other stuff going on. You know, it's just, he's, you know, he's working at a, like, a, like just... Uh, putting so much pressure on himself work-wise, having all this, you know, the the, the the death of his first collaborator, I think, really did bother him much, much more than he he let on. He found it they they had had a they'd had a work disagreement um, just before Seymour um, decided to mm. to kind of take his own life, and he did it in a very violent way. Um, and um, uh, so he, he basically, when when Mary dies, this is just kind of this is this is the last straw, and he. Um, he clearly there's a there's a period where he he can't he, he doesn't actually hit his deadlines for the for the two books that he's working on, um, and that's all over the press as well. Mm. Um, and there are stories all over the press that oh you know he's ill basically he's been like he's had to stop because like he's depressed he's kind of you know paralysed and uh, like with with um, you know, like grief and is unable to work. Um, so very like very very exposing very kind of. Um, uh, I mean, I can't. I, I can't really imagine what it must be like to to have have that happen to you. To have sort of, you know, public speculation on on not only what's going on in your in your kind of family circle, but what's you know what's going on in, with with your right. mental health. Um, and um, yeah, it's a um, it, it, it's one of the, it actually makes me feel quite sorry for him in a way that despite all this despite all this success, he kind of gets. He, he, yeah, he, he, he sort of, um, he, he clearly finds it deeply, deeply upsetting, and he, he sort of, you know, he, he again, he, he starts, he starts to drop all these. This is, this is pretty much the point at which he starts to kind of um, uh, clearly insert stories into the press, um, and uh, he sort of claims, oh, it's all a joke, you know. Obviously, um, obviously, I'm fine. There's nothing really wrong sure. with me. Um, but actually, the rumours kind of carry on for several years after that. It does. It does seem to be the case that he was, um, he was certainly, he was certainly suffering a lot of stress. I mean, and whether like it, it, exactly what what kind of form that took, whether he, he was having a breakdown, whether he was depressed, whether he was. Um, but um, you know, it's um, it, it was he, he he sort of found. I think that he he'd entered into this like you know Faustian bargain um, with the press and with the public where. He, you know, they they wanted they wanted more and more and more of him, and he gets so he and he sort of he that that's that's when he sort of starts creating this persona that in fact bears very little resemblance to him, um, like to the real to the real person, and he so, manages 
Yeah, so what is, what is the difference, Helena, between the persona that he created versus reality? What, give us some of the key disparities. Um, well, it, 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 it's quite a fascinating persona in a way. So there's this book, um, there's this book that's published in 1844, which is called uh, A New Spirit of the Age, um, which is basically, um, it, it, it's sort of this, um, uh, uh, it has these uh, sort of portraits, pen portraits, um, and in fact, um, physical, like picture portraits of various different, like famous new Victorians. Obviously, Queen Victoria had just come to the throne um, at the end of the 1830s. Um, and, uh, and so this is, oh, we've got, you know, we've got a new queen. Things always go well when we have a queen. Um, you know, this is and this is this is like a new age, and these are the new people who are going to shape it. And there are there are some some other names in the book that that people might recognise. There are also some people who, who are completely obscure now. But the first one, one on the you know, the first chapter, um, is on Charles Dickens. But um, and it's uh, and it talks about all his work, and it's it's very very flattering. Um, but it's also really fascinating to see how little biographical information on him they've managed to get right um this is so so the author was a guy he knew um clearly he'd kind of gone and uh, he'd gone and interviewed all the people that he writes these essays about um but he hadn't got anything out of dickens so there's nothing about where dickens went to school there's nothing about his family background there's nothing about where he grew up it's as if he kind of sprang to life fully formed to write the pickwick papers and as if there's sort of nothing there's nothing in there's there's nothing behind him um and um obviously of course and we and we 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 know this certainly now um how um that that he had in fact quite a difficult childhood mm. um his uh, father was imprisoned for debt um in uh when um uh when dickens was a little boy when he was kind of 10 11 um and he Possibly um, was um, forced to go and work um, in this terrible sort of tumble-down warehouse on the banks of the Thames. We we now know, um, or we've been told, um, that um, uh, his uh, um, that that when he writes uh, the, the the very similar scenes in David Copperfield, where David is kind of you know forced to go and taken out of school, forced to go and work. Um, in this kind of you know horrible place on the banks of the Thames, that's basically kind of autobiographical. And I, um, one of the things I kind of explore in the book is, is is how how to what extent that's actually true. But of course, at the time, like people didn't know this. That wasn't that wasn't revealed until after Dickens died by his uh, by his friend and his biographer, this guy called John Forster. Um, and so it's it, it's kind of this fascinating. Um, it, it, it's, he, so Dickens, to his first readers during his lifetime, is this sort of fascinatingly rootless man. Like we don't, they didn't know mm. anything about his early life at all. Um, and um, it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of fascinating to see the extent to which he managed to keep that going. Like he mm. gave the press certain things, but that whole that that whole kind of early life, which obviously he draws on all the time in his writing, like he needs to draw on it. Um, he, he does manage for his entire life, basically, to keep that, um, to keep that private. 
Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Uh, one of the things that I've heard about Dickens from time to time over the years is that um, his his characters and some of the phraseology that he uses both in his works and maybe even in his his life beyond the written word is that there's a strain of anti-Semitism to some of his writings. Did your research show that at all? Um, I, I mean, yeah, there's there's some appalling anti-Semitism, um, particularly in his in his early words. I mean, Dickens has a um, Dickens has some moments um, in, in private letters, in kind of journalism, and in his novels and, and, and stories, where frankly he says some pretty awful stuff uh, about a lot of different um, ethnic groups. Um, but uh, I mean, there's there's a particularly awful um, letter um, that he writes um, uh, after the uh, the Indian uprising in in, in 1857, um, and that is. I, I mean, the, the stuff in that is so horrible that I'm not I'm not even going to repeat it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, anti-Semitism, the, the anti-Semitism is probably the the kind of uh, longest running issue that, that he has. Um, and um, obviously, in all of the twists, you have the character of Fagin, um, who is, uh, I mean, I think it's a hundred plus times that he's described as the Jew. Um, and obviously there are there, there are uh, a lot of kind of you know anti-Semitic tropes mm-hmm. that Dickens hits up there. Um, there are um, there's also um, uh, some very anti-Semitic stuff in a, a slightly later novel called The Old Curiosity Shop, which doesn't doesn't get read very much nowadays, um, but was used to be huge in America. The Americans loved it when it was when it first came out, um, but. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I don't think you can you can uh, gloss over the fact that there's there's some there's some shocking anti-Semitism um, early on. Um, but the the interesting thing that 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 I discovered, I mean, I'd always I'd always sort of thought it slightly strange that he was so anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. So um, so the Meadow Towns, um, Rochester, Chatham, they are um, so Chatham was a massive. Naval Dockyard is a Royal Naval Dockyard. Um, and so, um, you know, for 400 plus years, you had all kinds of people coming in and out of there. Like it was a very, very diverse um, community from very, very early on. I mean, this, this happens with Docktowns, right? Um, and there was, um, there was when, when Dickens was living there as a little boy, there was a well-established Jewish population. And it was really quite well Right, you'd um, think someone that worldly right. wouldn't have uh, those sort of prejudices. Makes sense. Hey, yeah, uh, Helena, sort of I'm, was, was, uh, I'm sorry, we're, we're, we're out of time, but uh, I really okay. enjoyed this book, The Life and Lies of Charles Dickens. I hope people check it out. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. If people want to comment, you're welcome to. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead.